You're listening to All the King's Men. The views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and other contributors. They do not necessarily represent those of the Los Angeles Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All the King's Men. The awards have been handed out. The draft is over. Development camp is done. And we are two weeks into free agency. And even Bob McKenzie has shut it down for the summer. So what better time to bring you a two-part podcast full of Los Angeles Kings hockey talk. Part one, the one you're listening to now, is a conversation with LA Kings insider John Rosen and Josh Cooper from Yahoo's Puck Daddy. We'll cover development camp, uh, Josh's article for Puck Daddy about the Kings scouting staff, and some final contracts that have been taken care of over the last few weeks. In part two, available later today, the Royal Half and I will take a look back at some of the more dramatic moves from the past few weeks, including trades and free agent signings. Subscribing to the podcast is the easiest way to ensure you don't miss an episode, and as always, we encourage you to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Overcast, or any other podcatcher you use. We hope you're enjoying your summer, Kings fans, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Joining me today, LA Kings insider John Rosen. How are you doing today, John? I am wonderful. I can go on uh, living my life now that we know the uh, average annual values of the two-year deals for uh, Nick Dowd, Jack Campbell, and Derek Forbert. This is a wonderful day. <laughs> we wanted to, and we wanted to let you uh, kick around Jack Wilson some more, but we couldn't reach him. So uh, to sit in his spot uh, from Yahoo's Puck Daddy blog, Josh Cooper. How are you doing today, Josh? John, you can kick me whenever you want. It's not when I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> and as long as you're not some like Notre Dame homer um, and apologist, that's that's all fine by me, too. <laughs> no, I am just a Jordan Rogers apologist, the most famous football alumni from Vanderbilt who is kicking butt on the bachelorette right now. Yeah. Josh and I talked about Vandy football yesterday, too. And I was really interested to learn that Vanderbilt football. Josh went to Vanderbilt, a wonderful school, by the way, um, that there exists kind of the culture of going to football games not too different from Ole Miss or Virginia, where going to the football game is kind of like a date afternoon. You really dress up, and there's that kind of Southern-influenced pageantry that goes along rooting for a football team that's about to go 2-10. and 10. Yes, it, it, was, it was an experience, to say the least. I only saw eight wins in four years. Now, John, you going to Michigan, could you imagine seeing just eight football wins in four years? I think some of the students that uh, came through the Rich Rod years saw something. Yeah. Like but no, 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 no. I remember, you know, I've been in the big house for losses to Ohio State, blowout loss to Iowa. No, those aren't fun. Michigan kind of has kind of a, one of the more like self-loathing fan bases. And I mean that like endearingly. It's not maybe I shouldn't have even say that, but, you know, they, they are can be on the on the team while still loving the team. Um but, you know, there is a sense of, of realism and fatalism there, too, that I think exists. I was almost going to compare it, and Josh would know here, too, to, like, being a New York Mets fan. But I don't think that's accurate because, like, Mets fans are some of the more, like, like self-inward, you know, frustrated with their own team um, fan bases in all of professional sports. Are you only bringing this up because of the Chase Hutley horrifically miserable, dirty slide from last year? That was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. I thought Chase Utley was wonderful earlier this year in the uh, rubber matchup uh, against the New York Mets. Really a great series altogether against the Mets this year. Um, I hope these two teams meet in the playoffs again because that would mean 
that the Dodgers have clinched a playoff berth and got past uh, the wild card round. See, now I, I recognize all of the words that you guys are using, uh, but but in the order that you're using them, they mean nothing to me. So I'm going to jump in here and uh, and insist, John Rosen, that you tell us all about the L.A. Kings development camp that uh, took place last week. I attended half of one day before I had to leave. Um, oh, gosh. Well, how wonderful. <laughs> just amazing. It's phenomenal. Just a, a, a like ballet on ice. Um, the development camp, kind of, I guess, for the last four or five years, at least recently, um, you don't see a lot of scrimmages. You're not going to see also recently over the last year or two huge crowds. The Kings kind of try to keep it insular, keep it a little bit, not under wraps, but close to vests. They don't want the prospects to be wide-eyed and have take away anything from making sure that these players get better. You'll see a lot of instruction, Mike O'Connell, Glenn Murray, Nelson Emerson, and then you have like Mike Stuthers, Chris Hyde on the ice as well, Mike Donnelly on the ice, um, everybody there teaching. So you'll see a drill or two, and then they'll gather everybody around. They'll talk about it. They'll speak about positioning, how each drill was handled. And eventually later in the day and later in the week, you think maybe we'll see this open up a little bit and be prospect, see the prospect scrimmage. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the camp ends with basically two-on-two zone entry drills. Um, so you, you, you don't always get to see the not necessarily compete, but, you know, everybody putting it together in a game situation. But you do get to see a lot of the fundamentals of these kids. That being said, it's a little bit difficult to kind of pick players out and say, well, this guy was clearly the stud of development camp. Also keep in mind that that a lot of the players, the, the players who spent the entire year in Ontario weren't there. Some of the top prospects like Adrian Kempe wasn't there. So I would say... That of the biggest standouts, Mike Amadio is somebody that was probably more advanced than anybody else. Um, I really liked watching Austin Wagner. We all knew that he could fly. This is uh, you know a Kings draft pick from uh, two years ago out of uh, the Regina Pats program. He was somebody that was just getting up and down the ice, finding the soft ice. He was flying out there. He had a terrific uh, season this past year in Regina with Adam Brooks, uh, who was selected uh, by the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs and had led the WHL in scoring. So there was a good chemistry there. Um, other than that, it was just drills here or there. It's a lot of anecdotal stuff. Like I liked Eric Cernak's kind of one-on-one -on -one defending. I think he had a good compete from what I could see. Um, but just the way the structure of the camp, it, it doesn't really lend itself to saying, wow, this guy was fantastic. This guy was incredible. It, it was mostly just a collection of fundamental-based drills. And, uh, you know, I think when you talk to the players, they leave that camp and they feel at the end of the camp that, that they improve. I want to highlight one thing that uh, that you may not have realized when you mentioned all those names, but you mentioned Saranac, uh, you mentioned Amadio, and uh, who's the third one you, you mentioned? Um, Austin Wagner. Austin Wagner, thank you. And then I'm also going to toss in uh, Luff into that category, uh, because I noticed those names as well. Um, like you said, it was really difficult. The skills were all so specific. You know, it was tip-ins or it was, you know, uh, shots from the blue line, what have you. Um, but the four names, because uh, I'm going to include Matt Luff, that you mentioned, we're all 19 years old. Um, and a development, in a development camp where the ages ranged, I think there might have been one 17-year-old um, to as high as 23 or 24. I found it really interesting that the names that, that leapt out at you were 19. Um, do the guys that are in the of the upper age bracket there, you're 22, you're 23-year-olds, um, is there more pressure on them to show the coaching staff something or, or do they just simply graduate out of development camp status? Those, those 22, 23, 24 year olds were almost exclusively camp invites. And 
you know, not not to be playing any favoritism or anything here, but, you know, I, I'm watching the guys that the Kings have drafted and have been at previous camps before, before I'm looking at some of those guys. Um, as for Luff, he didn't get on the ice on the last day. I understand. I, I believe it was due to injury, but it didn't seem like it was anything major. I mean, he was just hanging out in the corner watching the drills go on on the final day. Um, Alex Lintuniemi was also uh, held out uh, on the final day of, uh, of practice as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are players. I look at someone like uh, Miles Coolis, where he is determined to not go back to the ECHL. This was somebody that uh, his father, of course, Oren Coolis, the former owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning, a Los Angeles kid, grew up in the area, um, had a pretty good career in the Western Hockey League, played for Medicine Hat, played for Portland, um, but was in the ECHL last year, and he wants to take that step to the AHL. He had already attended a couple of camps with Washington. Talking to his dad during camp, I understood, too, um, that he was somebody that really said that there's a lot more teaching uh, and it's a little bit more physical at L.A.'s camp compared to, to other camps um, that he had been to with the Capitals. Um, he's somebody that's again, could be ticketed for Manchester uh, if he ends up staying. Um, but again, he's somebody that has that kind of desperation where he does not want to go back to the ECHL. That would be you know Manchester ticket, but he's trying to earn a spot, too, in Ontario. Um, one of those players that that really has a lot to prove and, 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 you know, doesn't want to stay in the same rung of the developmental ladder. Josh, obviously you're not as familiar with the, the roster as John is, but um, in your brief uh, opportunity to watch the development camp, did anybody stand out to you or was there anything that caught your attention about the way the camp was run? The thing that always catches my attention with the Kings camp, and I actually wrote about this last year, is their incredible focus on puck protection and puck possession. And to me, it's something that they got a real jump on the competition with several years ago, which kind of led to their their winning the Stanley Cup in 2012 and 2014. And that's sort of the focus there is just being able to do that and just trying to make sure that guys know the best spots to hold the puck to make sure that other teams can't get it away from them. Just pass the way you can pass it to certain guys to where you can hold on to it. I mean, I think that that's where the Kings truly excel isn't something like that as far as the particular skill I mean I, I said to someone I was watching camp I'm not sure who it was I mean I, I used to cover the Nashville Predators and there were guys who looked like just complete all-stars and then there were some guys who just looked not nearly as good and I, I think that that's interesting because then when you move away from camp um, you see guys actually look a lot better. Um, so, I mean, it, it's always kind of a mixed bag. But overall, I think just the fundamentals of the of the camp really kind of, that's what, that's what impresses me the most. And that goes back to what he said reminds me of one particular training camp, rookie camp that we had uh, with the Everett Silvertips. This would have been back in 2008. Uh, we had drafted Ryan Murray in the first round that year. Uh, and Murray showed up to camp still 14. He's a late birthday. He's born in late September. Wasn't draft eligible until his 19-year-old season, yada, yada, yada. But as a 14-year-old, you could not take your eyes off of this one player. He ended up going to main camp. He sit, fit in seamlessly with the, the main camp kids. Um, as a kid in major junior, though, you can't play more than five games of major junior hockey as a 15-year-old until your Bantam or Midget team season has ended. He ended up joining us in the playoffs that year and was probably our best defenseman in a playoff series against dry city. Uh, ultimately he gets selected second overall in the NHL draft. I didn't see any players like that where you couldn't take your eye off them on the ice uh, though. in talking to with, with 
Uh, Brent McEwen, the King's uh, Western Canadian scout. We were talking a lot about Kale Clegg. I just put a story out uh, on Clegg earlier uh, here on Monday. Um, and he was saying that there was a lot of poise in Clegg's game. I like hearing that about defensemen, when there is poise, when they are good decision makers. Players like that. You might even look at someone like Jared Spurgeon on Minnesota. People who are just poised. They might not have in all other aspects of the game, though Clegg certainly does have a very good offensive package. But just not making mistakes, making that simple play, that's probably the best attribute you could have as a defenseman. And that was something that appeared to be in Clegg's game uh, throughout much of his uh, 17-year-old draft season. First half of the season, he was really struggling to put up points. But once that confidence came around, he was making the right play, he was making the safe play, and he could make some pretty dynamic plays as well. Uh, and he was somebody that really, uh, you know, kind of blew the doors off the barn uh, over his final uh, 40 games of his uh, 17-year-old season and then into the playoffs in the Memorial Cup. And again, uh, an 18-year-old. Um, one question I had, I, I didn't get a chance to see him play, but I heard a lot of noise about Jonah Imu, who is the son of Dusty Imu, the Kings goaltending uh, coach. Now, I'm assuming he was an invite to camp. Um, I hesitate to say as a favor to his father. But uh, I'm looking at his uh, hockey DB page. He hasn't played um, a tremendous amount of hockey in the last year. I'm a, I mean, is there any shot that he actually winds up somewhere in the in the Kings farm system? No, that would be very surprising. And I think the best goaltender from camp because you're, you're probably going to see Jack Flynn end up in Manchester. I was actually speaking to uh, to Dusty about this because um, you'll have in the AHL. I mean, we all expect Jeff Sadkoff to probably earn that backup role. Also, a chance that Peter Budai gets it. Jack Campbell could be the backup there in Ontario, which means that Jack Flynn, who was signed to an AHL contract, um, would start the season in ECHL. He'd be assigned to ECHL Manchester. So, Emu, there's perhaps an opening as the backup uh, in, uh, in the ECHL. Forgive me right now, and we can bring on Rain Insider later. Um, but I'm not sure how, um, you know, the backup, the, you know, the fill in third string goaltender from Ontario, um, um, I, I'm blanking Hauser, uh, at this point right now where he is this coming year. Um, but I think if you're talking about the goaltenders from development camp, the guy that a lot of people had their eyes on was, uh, Samu Pervenin. Uh, he played, uh, last year in the Finnish Liga and had some pretty decent numbers there as well. So, you know, he's, he's also a big goaltender, six foot five, 196 pounds. Um, but, but, you know, the Kings had to go in and establish their pipeline. Um, they ended up uh, inviting four different goaltenders to the camp. There was nobody under contract to the Kings or under the property of the Kings who was at development camp. And, and uh, Jonah Emu uh, split time last year in the Federal Hockey League and the uh, Southern Pro Hockey League um, and, uh, and uh, ended up as a camp invite and looked fine. I'm always sort of amazed, you know, this past year, the Kings lost, you know, they lost Barube to waivers and they lost Bartisak to his own indiscretion. And there was a lot of hand wringing about, you know, when Enroth leaves in the offseason, the Kings goalie cupboard is bare, essentially. And yet here I am reading articles that say they now almost have too many um, after a, a short offseason. Um, there have been a lot of moves the Kings made in the offseason. Josh, you spoke to uh, Mark Unetti and uh, excuse me, wait, do I have that? I always get their names, their first names backwards. Um, Mike Fuda and Mark Unetti. Thank you. Yeah, okay, I was right. Yeah, Mark, yeah. You spoke to them about uh, the Kings scouting system and and uh, Dean Lombardi's challenge of uh, of subtle reform in order to regain competitive edge. 
Uh, what did they have to say about it? Well, I think it sounds like they're just going back to what they do best, which is talent evaluation, puck protection as far as development. I mean, I think one of the biggest issues that they have, which, I mean, there's nothing they can do about this, unfortunately, but they were so innovative for so long and it yielded such incredible results that everyone, I won't say caught up, but everyone kind of started to, to copy it. They didn't really hire the same staff because pretty much these guys, these main players for the Kings have been intact ever since Dean Lombardi took over as GM. But but it sounds like, you know, I, I think that's the difficult thing that they got to deal with now is the fact that, you know, they were so good at finding those guys in the draft who had gone through the draft once before and weren't afraid to use a, a high pick on a player like that again. And then other teams started doing that. And then, you know, when they had their whole puck, puck possession system, other teams started copying them and putting kind of big brawny guys in, um, you know, to try to try to play that type of style. So I, I think that's sort of the big issue here. And the one thing, and that's kind of what they're looking to go back towards. And I think that they're, they understand that and that's a good thing, but I think the other the other question that I have is really is it almost too late to do it only because you know they gave up a first round pick in this year's draft they didn't have one they didn't weren't able to re-sign Milan Lucic they only had four picks in this last draft so really this kind of reset may have to wait a year and this team is in such a win now mode that I wonder how this is going to work out but at the same time, I mean, look, the Pittsburgh Penguins, we all thought they were dead in the water. And then everyone just suddenly realized out of nowhere, hey, they have one of the three best cores in the NHL. <laughs> of course they're going to be awesome. And they end up winning the Stanley Cup. And the same thing goes with the Kings in that they have a really, really, really good core. Some guys like Drew Doughty and Jake Muzzins who are under very solid contracts to go with some of the contracts that maybe don't work out quite as well under their system. And... I think that that's going to help them in the long run. But but ultimately, that was sort of what I got was the fact that basically it was let's get back to basics. Let's focus on what we do well. And what they do well is, again, drafting the right guys, putting them in the right development structure, and then basically having them as finished products when they reach the NHL. And you haven't seen that for a few years as they've tried to stay afloat and deal with some other off-ice issues. And now that they've sort of taken medicine to a degree, I think that it puts them in a good position to get back to that. But it may take a year to really start getting back to that point again. John, when I was at uh, training camp, I was sitting near uh, Jack Ferreira and some of the scouts. And, and I was not eavesdropping, but I overheard portions and snippets of their conversation. And they certainly weren't um, shy about the conversations they were having until at one point um, – somebody behind me began speaking and was instantly shushed and, and the rest of that conversation took place, um, you know, with heads very, very close to one another. And there was whispering going on. How tight lipped is that scouting staff and that front office when it comes to some of the things uh, Josh is talking about? Very. Uh, I never really saw a ton of video cameras uh, during development camp. I believe King's vision is putting something together, some sort of final project, but you know, I got the sense that, you know, they were a little bit wary of uh, photographers in the seating area. Um, this wasn't exactly a development camp that was publicized that had, you know, purchase tickets with proceeds to King's Care, like you might see some other teams 
do with their scrimmages towards the end of training camp. I just think that they wanted to, to be in a position where they could as easily and thoroughly as possible review and really gauge how these players have been learning, what they're learning, how they're developing, uh, and how they're getting better. Um, and you know what? With regards to what Josh said, and I, I agree with a lot of it, and there was a fantastic article that he wrote, um, this is you know this new innovation and this kind of spark of the way of thinking, this is something that's going to pay dividends perhaps down the line. This isn't something that's going to pay immediate dividends. When I look at this Kings roster right now, and I do believe – you know, that there is still some movement that's going to take place in advance of, you know, the first week of the season. Um, there are a lot of depth forwards, a lot of defensemen, depth defensemen. So you might be able to see some sort of trade or player movement there, uh, you know, as we've talked about before on the podcast and on LA Kings Insider. Um, this is a Kings team that still has holes in the roster right now in this lineup. I mean, you take away Milan Lucic and you have someone like Teddy Purcell who's going to fill in for some of that production and is still a pretty good play driving forward, you know, you go from Justin Williams to Milan Lucic to Teddy Purcell. Um, I think that there is going to be a little bit of a hit offensively for this Kings team. They still really haven't adequately uh, assessed what's, or I shouldn't say assessed, but um, responded to, to try and build up their defense on the back end, whether or not the expansion draft coming up uh, is kind of tying their hands together just a little bit is another question. Um but, you know, this is going to be another Kings team like that 11-12 team that's going to have to win those 2-1 to games. And the Kings can do that. They have that type of structure um, where they can win those, those types of games. They're a very different team from a lot of NHL teams just in the way that they play, the tight checking aspect of their game, how their top players and their forwards are so committed um, to really locking down and, and suppressing their opponent's opportunities and playing at the attacking end. There's very good structure there. And, of course, when you have Drew Doughty, Andre Kopitar, Jonathan Quick, you know, you're in contention, but there are still holes on this Kings team. And looking now where they're at, you know, as of right now, they're they're They have some work to do if they're going to match, you know, the franchise best type of season that they had a year ago. We hadn't talked about talking about this, but now that you mention it, I, I it's a question that's been bugging me. And I, I want to ask both of you this um, <clears throat> with the expansion draft coming a year from now. There are so many rules about uh, which kind of players you can protect and which kind of players you can't. Um, do either of you see any strategic contracts being signed almost as a way to sort of uh, force Las Vegas into a specific de decision? I'll give you an example. I'm looking at the Kings, the, the blue line, and you're obviously you can protect three defensemen. Um, so the Kings would protect, presumably, Dowdy, Martinez, and Muzzin. Um, does that almost steer them away from looking aggressively for a fourth quality uh, defenseman just for now, because that, that acquisition would, would, you know, force them to expose somebody in the upcoming expansion draft John, or, or our team's just not that forward thinking about it. It's interesting you say that because the Kings have tried to do that a little bit in the past, somewhat similar to what you're talking about. And it worked out, terribly for them. Right. Back in 1998, the Kings did not at all want Nashville to select Gary Galley, so they <laughs> ended up trading Kimo Timonen to the yeah. Nashville Predators. Was a terrible somebody trade. was a late-round draft pick <laughs> and was not expected to make the team, and Kimo Timonen goes on to a ridiculously distinguished career. Yeah. Um, with that being said, um, you know, I, there are ways in which you can kind of circumvent uh, 
not not circumvent the, the expansion draft. Obviously, you look at signing uh, Zadkoff to a two-year contract. That means that they now have kept two goaltenders that they still have to you know right. make one available. So there's that. But that's a, that's a good question that you ask. I wonder what types of dealings, and I don't know this right now without having done uh, you know the, the requisite research, um, how teams can jockey for position or kind of make deals with Las Vegas in advance so that they can protect and not have to lose who they want to lose. Um, obviously, I think when you look at all Kings fans, they're thinking that maybe Dustin Brown gets selected in the expansion draft just because his contract is untradeable, paid through 2022. Um, and there are those diminishing returns, you know, just from his production standpoint. But I don't get the sense that Las Vegas will be in the position to to take on that type of a contract through the 2022 season. Um, so, uh, you know, at this point, that that's a good question. It's still a little bit too early to really gauge that at this point, but I think all teams have their strategy, obviously, and all teams will be eventually in contact when that, you know, when that period arises uh, with Las Vegas to, to protect their assets as best as possible. Josh, I mean, sorry, go ahead, Josh. Well, I was going to say, the thing that I find really fascinating about this expansion thing is like, yes, you know, the rules were collectively bargained, and yes, this is a $500 million fee that no doubt teams will love once it hits. I don't know if it has yet, but Teams love to prepare. A good GM loves prepare four, five years out. And you look at some of the contracts that were given, not in unrestricted free agency this summer, but restricted free agency. I'm talking about the Florida Panthers did with Aaron Eckblatt. Talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning did with Victor Hedman. These were guys that did not have to be re-signed now. And they went ahead and did it because they wanted to make sure that their guys were locked up at a point when they had to be locked up. As soon as possible. And so now you kind of have, and, and granted, it's great entertainment because these GMs are going to be trying to figure out, you know, what they're doing and how they're going to do it for the next year with rules that essentially were only just made official less than a month ago. But but you're going to have GMs trying to figure out what to do, what players to acquire, what players not to acquire. Um, some guys are going to get traded because they're going to be seen as being susceptible to the expansion draft some guys won't you're going to see some teams not give players uh, no movement protection i don't know i guess that probably started already it's a very fascinating thing to me and it's something that i i I just i I think that it's it's going to make a lot of transact i guess this would be the term i would use transactional entertainment for the upcoming season (laughs) i like that yeah, be, because you're just going to see all these moves, and it's going to just be very, very interesting to watch because, as I said, a lot of GMs, especially really good general managers in this league, love to plan out long-term, and they have not been able to do that for expansion. Because I mean, I remember at the press conference that announced Bruce Boudreaux's firing in Anaheim, I mean, even Bob Murray said back then, quote, if we have expansion. So he didn't even know back in, right. I guess it was late April, early May, if there was, I mean, look, we all knew it was probably going to happen, but nothing had been finalized. So now you have just almost a weird kind of free-for-all amongst general managers of trying to figure out what to do. And I think that a lot of the questions you have, Jesse, sort of fall in, into that. And it's going to be exciting, but it's going to make, it's going to be, you can't, you're not going to be able to predict transactions this year pretty much based off of Las Vegas. Well, so just to just to dive completely into baseball on this one, um, 
I'm just I pulled up General Fanager, which has a tool for this, and just to to give listeners an idea of what I'm talking about. Assuming that the Kings were to protect Jonathan Quick, uh, Jake Muzzin, Alec Martinez, Drew Doughty, Kopitar, Carter, Gabrick, Toffoli, Lewis, Clifford, and Pearson, um, pretty much the only players available for Las Vegas to draft from the Kings would essentially be Matt Green or Dustin Brown, if I'm not. I mean, they could take anybody they wanted from Wait, the I development mean, you system. Gotta, you got to like look at it whether they're taking the seven forwards, three defensemen, one right, goalie, or right. just eight, eight skaters, one goalie. The way I see it right now is that the most likely at this point right now to be perhaps unprotected would be Braden McNabb. Um, that's going to be no, I forgot about McNabb. a challenge right there. <laughs> um, you know, he's somebody that obviously has, has still has steps that he can take in his career. And when you speak with hockey operations, they're, you know, they're very encouraged that he has that ability to reach those steps, as he certainly showed in lower levels of professional hockey, major junior hockey, that he, he, he has done that. It's a little bit inconsistent this past year, um, but, but he's still somebody that would be targeted. And you know, I don't like to speculate on these things, but I'm just looking from a, you know, from a purely who's available, who's not available mm-hmm. standpoint with, with the expansion draft that he, he you know, could be somebody that, you know, Again, it's so easy to say this right now, though, because yeah. you know he could go out and play himself in. Every player could play themselves into or play themselves out of getting protected. This draft is still eleven months away, so um, you know it's 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 there will there will be enough that happens in the next year. Player movement, trades, performances that indicate which way the Kings would be leaning with with who they're protecting. Yeah, and as you said, the the Kings may not be done uh, before the first week of the season, but the the sort of um, dovetailing of the two things we talked about so far, uh, Kings going back to trying to find value where they can, and um, and the Kings development program, they signed. I think, I mean, on the surface of it, they signed five players with the money that they would have spent on Milan Lucic. Uh, bringing in those five players means perhaps not seeing as many of the players that we expected to coming up from Ontario this year. Uh, but Ontario has essentially retained all of, uh, or I should say the Kings, qualified all their free agent, their restricted free agents so far in the offseason, except for Crescenzi. Is that right, John? Yeah, he's the only one that's left. Uh, what is what is the acquisition of guys like Teddy Purcell, Tom Gilbert, Michael Latta? What does that mean for the prospects of guys like Dowd and Shore and Mersh this season? Um, the interesting part is on the back end, where the of the defensemen, the only player that would not have to clear waivers to go back to Ontario is Kevin Gravel. And of the guys coming up from Ontario, he's probably the defenseman that's at the top of the list right now. I thought in his small sample size in, in which he was in the in, in the NHL last year, again, poised, made smart reads, good, hard, crisp passes out of the zone. I thought he looked fine, still has to kind of fill into his body because he's still a little bit thin. Um, the question, you know, then becomes who else makes the team? Every indication is that Nick Dowd uh, and Michael Mersh will have every opportunity to make the team. These players obviously, too, have to clear waivers to go back down to the AHL. So it would be surprising to see the team go that route. Um, and then that, that brings up where exactly Derek Forbert is at and, and what the team sees there. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But everything that I see from right now, and the team isn't going to really, with reporters, share its like, like what it plans to do after training camp, from in advance of training camp. Um, but it does seem like there will be players, perhaps veteran players, uh, that will be assigned to the AHL 
um, through waivers, through the waiver process. There's a good chance that Zach Trotman might be assigned to uh, have to clear waivers. Matt Green has already cleared waivers, by the way. Um, you know, Rob Scuderi is somebody that will be facing a, a competition for a spot on this Kings team as well. Um, so I think when you look at it that way, there's going to be competition for depth roles in training camp, and there will be a competition, uh, but both forwards and defensemen. Um, you know, I think that Mersh, Dowd are probably the most secure in their spots. I would like to think Gravel probably as well, just by virtue of being probably the most advanced out of any of them. But again, keep in mind that he doesn't have to clear waivers, so there's, a, there's an opportunity that he gets sent back. Derek Forbort is going to be an interesting case right now because the Kings at this point uh, have too many depth defensemen. Uh, he would have to clear waivers, and he's probably, you know, and I'm not just speculating here, but, you know, having based this on conversations uh, with those, you know, with the team, um, he's a little bit behind Kevin Gravel, and, and I think the eye test supports that too. There were a lot of players that the Kings chose to not qualify this year, but uh, Forbert just signed a contract extension. What can you tell us about that? Two-year contract extension. Um, you know, maybe perhaps that makes him less likely to be uh, claimed on waivers if the Kings were going that route. Um, but you, I mean, Derek Forbert is somebody that is a very smooth skating defenseman who has good size. There are still aspects of his game that he has to add and have as part of his game to help build an identity to play in the National Hockey League. You know, I think that in the past there have been concerns raised. I don't want to use the you know term compete level, but kind of about his 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 motor and his energy and his nastiness. I think he began to answer some of those questions in his stint this past year. I think a lot of people are are looking right now at his kind of secondary metrics, and while his advanced stats were very good. It's not his shot suppression or his Corsi rating that my eyes are drawn towards. It's the fact that he had far and away the easiest competition on the team out of anybody who played any games with the Kings this past year. Um, so the Kings last season really treated him with some kid gloves. You know, there's a player, you know, 24 years old, uh, you know, first round draft pick from 2010. He's still looking to find his identity in this league right now. It's going to be interesting to see where he falls. Uh, in this coming year, because like I said, I, I get the sense, and I think others do as well, uh, that Kevin Gravel, the, the team is is most high on him in terms of you know where exactly all their prospects are at in, in, on the defensive end. Josh, are we going to see you out at any Ontario Rain games this year? I'd like to. I, I really <laughs> no no no. Here's the thing: is I I think it's a really fun experience, and I, I remember one thing I saw. I last year I went to a game where. The Rain played the San Jose Barracuda, and it was a game where San Jose Barracuda head coach Roy Sommer, who, by the way, is like one of the coolest dudes I've ever met in hockey. If you have a chance to ever meet this guy, I mean, he will talk your ear off about some of the most bizarrely amazing stories that you will ever hear. But anyway, he was about to tie the AHL record for wins by a coach, and that was a game where it could have happened. And one of the things that I was so taken aback by was I looked out to my right, like down a hallway um, at the building, and the players were playing two-touch outside. And I thought it was like the coolest thing. Uh, <laughs> for those who don't know, two-touch is like the soccer game where they basically like try to make sure the ball doesn't touch the floor. And if you ever walk down the Bowsen Arena and you see hockey players just staring up at a light, then it's because the soccer ball somehow like got caught above the light. They're trying to figure out how to get it down. It's or that they the broke most. the light. Playing. Or they <laughs> broke the light. Yeah, it, it happens pretty much everywhere. But 
but it, it's a beautiful facility. I think it's, it's a really good value. Uh, this is not an infomercial for it. I really, <laughs> I really, really enjoyed it. So yeah, I mean, I'd like to go to more AHL games, and I think the Rain are just a really fun, fun ticket to watch. But uh, to sort of jump on John's point about Forbort, um, I, I've seen so many instances, and I hate to sort of jump on the war on Corsi right now, but I mean. A guy has to get in the league and has to play and show he belongs. You can't just take a small sample size and think this guy is going to be legit just because his course he was good in like five games. I mean, there's matchups. There's an eyeball test to it. There's a lot of things. And the other thing, too, is the Kings are one of the best organizations that I know in regards to meshing all these things together and putting out a finished product that knows how to hold on to the puck. So... As you watch Derek Forbord and try to figure him out as a hockey player, just try to keep that in mind. <laughs> Good advice. And uh, I realize now, uh, looking through some photos, that uh, there was a, a member of the Kings training camp or development camp staff on the ice who was uh, eyeballing me the entire time, and especially when I would take out my phone, clearly to videotape or photograph. Players and it was uh, it was Ontario Rain coach Mike Stuthers. I now realize um, I should have recognized him earlier, but <laughs> there you have it. He's a scary, scary. Yeah. Guy. Well, he made me stop. I mean, just a glare from him, and I thought twice about pulling my phone out of my pocket again. I mean, look, development camp is it clearly is an important thing for this organization, and I mean, you, you got to respect that. I mean, not a lot of organizations take it that seriously. And, I mean, it shows on the ice. The Kings are uh, are no joke, even though they may not be bringing back Milan Lucic this year. John, <laughs> I want to uh, I want to thank you, as always, for joining me. It's my pleasure, too. And just to, before we go, I'll share our favorite uh, Mike Stuthers moment from development camp. Please. Which was he was speaking about Jeff Schultz and had so many good things to say about Jeff Schultz. Such a pro. Literally, it was like three or four lines of text when I was transcribing it. And then, uh, you know, he was asked... Uh, you know, you see where he signed, and he said no, and it was, it was Anaheim. He's like, what? No, I hope <laughs> this runs him through the boards. I think verbatim was his response to that. And then he went back and said, it's great. It'll be great to see him 12, 13 times a season as well. Um, but Mike Stuthers, uh, great personality, funny, and uh, anyone who's been reading Bus Text with Stuthers, uh, courtesy of Lindsay Zarneski and uh, on Rain Insider, uh, this is already old hat to them. Uh, mm-hmm. Great personality, though. And and scary mean looking. Uh, Josh, thank you as always for joining us. No worries. Uh, Thanks for having me on. And uh, I'm going on vacation soon, so you won't be able to read me on Puck Daddy starting Friday. But I have lots of good stuff coming up before then, so please read it. And pay (laughs) attention to all the things that we do and the fun Jersey fouls that we post that nobody's sending us any more submissions because it's the off season. But if you see them, please send them. And yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Yeah. These Josh are the- is actually going up to uh, Muskoka. He has a, he has a little cottage uh, <laughs> on the lake there. Go it's to cottage. Two hours drive. Go to from cottage. Toronto. Go to cottage. No, Cause I, uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I am not going to cottage. I am going to Japan And I am doing the Marriott tour of Japan because as a traveling beat reporter, when I used to cover the Nashville Predators, I have like a bajillion Marriott points. So Josh's words of advice on this podcast is find a rewards redemption system you like, become obsessed with it, 
and then go on free vacations. You guys should read, uh, and invest should read in Up in the Air, the book Up in the Air. They made it into a movie with uh, George Clooney and like Anna Kendrick, and it was cute. It was all right. But the book is wonderful. It's about a man trying to uh, accrue 10 million frequent flyer miles and the lengths to which he does it and how his relationships in life fall apart because of it. <laughs> all right. As someone who used to travel a lot for work and had to do this and also may have become obsessed with points, I, I don't let it overrun your life because it really can. <laughs> this obsession is real. Sounds like a bit of a first world problem. So there you have it, Kings fans. Don't let the pursuit of airline miles ruin your life. <laughs> for, for John Rosen and Josh Cooper, my name is Jesse Cohen. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon.